I think for a lot of young people, because of Pope John Paul II, Pope Benedict, because of the legacy that they left in the church, there is an unbelievable zeal for the true presence in the Eucharist. And I think that that is one of the main reasons that young people skew traditional. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to Every Knees Shall Bow, your weekly Catholic podcast on evangelization and discipleship. My name is Mike Gomer Gormley, and I am joined by Dave, the pew sitter, Van Vickle. How are you doing, Dave? I'm good. I'm good. I mean, I'm I'm in despair because we are in the 40s here in Pittsburgh, and, <laughs> and there's no looking back here. I mean, I don't think that there's going to be any more warm, warm weeks or anything, so I'll see you. I'll see you in, in, in basically <laughs> July. That's when... Oh, that's what so sad. But I will be in your area in mid-July. I'm coming up for the Stoomville main campus, man. I know. I'm so excited. You better, you better, you had better clear your calendar. So. Oh, I'm glad you said that. I will. I absolutely will now. <laughs> <laughs> so what you been up to? You've been traveling a lot lately or a little bit. Moderately? Yeah. Well, I've, been, I've been real busy. And then, um, yeah, I, I have done some traveling. And uh, yeah, people are booking events again. And I'm, I'm, I'm very happy about it. So I'm booking the Catholic Truth about Angels and Demons again, which is, I, I love that event so much because it's just, it brings out so many weird people and so many great faithful <laughs> Catholic people. And uh, I had an event a couple weeks ago, like in, in a, I mean, literally farm town, like no no freeways to get there or anything like that. It was so fun. And the, the DRE there, she was awesome. So she brought me in. She listens to the, to the show and her Hi. two kids are going to Franciscan. She heard about Franciscan from our show. Oh, that's and awesome. now they're there and they love it. And uh, yeah, it was, it was great. And it was really close to like a, um, this parish was close to a fraternal society of St. Peter parish. So I met a bunch of parishioners from there. They came over for the talk and, um, so it was just a bunch of big Catholic families and it was neat. Yeah, it was great. So nice. What about you? How are power yeah, parishes? Uh, You're getting ready for Advent. Uh, I mean, yeah. this is a so big Advent, the- right? Because COVID's kind of over, kind of. Uh huh. So this is big for you. I mean, right? Well, well, you know, we're hoping. We're hoping. So being in Texas is a very interesting place because we opened up not as early as Florida did, but fairly early. And then the Delta variant really hit us hard. Right, right. But but the crazy thing about it is this this is what drives me insane. You know the phrase if it bleeds, it leads, yeah, right? Yeah. Like about the news media. Well, so we heard about the Delta variant every single second, right? If you follow the news and all this <laughs> stuff. It was everywhere. Every parent was emailing me because of our uh, children's faith formation and youth ministry program. People refused to send their kids. And then, uh, and I was monitoring, which uh, the the local school district, which started six weeks before we did our, our faith formation stuff and youth ministry stuff, six weeks later. So I'm monitoring the outbreaks and all this stuff, and it's just dropping like a rock. And it's hilarious to me that as soon as the levels were, you know, basically non, non-newsworthy, like it just... Like, shouldn't the news then be like, yay, we're through right. the best, or the yeah, worst right. of it. But no, it's just silence. Yeah. It is just silence. And so a lot of people still have that anxiety really, really strongly. Okay. And it's understandable okay. for, for some categories of people. But 
I'd say some of our biggest masses, which we'll actually get into in this in this email, are almost overflowing. Wow. Last week, last week we almost ran out of communion at a mass Whoa. because there were so many people that showed up. It was like the good old days. Yeah. Uh, but then other masses are still hovering at about 60 to 80%. Okay. So it's interesting. It's really interesting. Yeah. I would love to see what my church is going to do for the Spanish mass because now we have a pastor who is bilingual. Oh. And um and he's like those are my people I will do that mass every single Sunday you know all this so he's super zealous for that group and building them up and so uh yeah yeah it's going to be interesting what happens in the next few uh few months Yeah I think every I think a lot of people feel that you know this is going to be this is really the first normal advent you know back but we'll see yeah. we'll see Yeah I mean there'll there'll be another variant or something like that so indeed yeah indeed this is part of our life forever <laughs> yeah it is so no know the it risk is. people know the risk yeah, yeah. uh all right yeah. so dave i have uh i have one question for you okay oh boy. right now oh boy. one question for you have you been to the gym in your backyard yet yes i have and what have you done what have you done i am more into your fitness life than you are i've determined yeah okay so just so, you, uh, so this is a sign you'll know I'm struggling when I do this. So I've been doing boxing lately. Uh, okay. So I'm just I'm I'm struggling, man. I'm struggling. So if I can get out there and just get the gloves on and just go crazy for a while, get a good yeah. sweat going. You know, I don't know. I, I I don't know what's going on with me. I'm like I I gotta get back into it. I gotta I have to feel. I have to love the pain of lifting heavy weights again. You know, I gotta get back into that. Uh, but it's not easy now. You know, it's gonna get cold and uh, everything. So I'm I'm trying. I'm trying my best. But uh, I have been out there just making myself. You know, hit the bag for like, you know, interval training. But um. It, that usually means that I'm struggling because like I need motivation. Yeah. That's like the fun thing for me to do. And I'm not like, you know, trying to break my back, trying to lift as much as I can and stuff like that. So yeah. what about you? Gotcha. What about you? Well, I started as couch to 5k. Yeah, thing. Right. It was awesome. Right. I was brutally faithful to it until I developed shin splints and <laughs> could barely run. Now I think I might have a stress fracture because the pain doesn't go away. Mm-hmm. So, uh, so I've been, following the uh, pt's um guidance on how to like address and <laughs> figure out if it's a stress you might or not. you might hey you might just need to buy a bigger skirt <laughs> <laughs> just kidding just kidding. uh but i did buy better running shoes Good. because the shoes i was running with were not all that great yeah, so that'll mess my wife you up is like if you, if you don't buy better right? running shoes we can't be friends yeah, it will mess you up if you run with bad shoes so I know, I know. Speaking of which, let's talk about our sponsor, Choose Life. Yeah. St. Jose Maria Scrava said, if you say the rosary every day with a spirit of faith and love, Our Lady will make sure she sends you very far along her son's path. Our sponsor of today's episode is a firm believer of these words. Choose Life is a small Catholic business whose mission is to equip all Catholics with rosaries for life, and they mean it. They have silicon rosaries for babies and beautiful gemstone and wooden rosary bracelets for adults. They have a rosary for everyone. The silicon rosaries are soothing for your little one and will also help them to build wonder and love for the rosary. Imagine seeing your little one totally loving on a rosary made just for them. It is like seeing your baby hold hands with our Mother Mary. And the rosary bracelets for adults, they are so 
beautiful and so well made. A really neat feature of the rosary bracelets is their bookmark crucifix charm. If you don't have time to get through a whole rosary at once, no worries. Simply use the charm to hold your place until you can come back to it. You need to check out Choose Life. Along with their many beautiful rosaries, Choose Life features a lot of other amazing products created to bring the faith into your home. Go check them out now at Choose Life. That's C-H-E-W-S, ChooseLife.com. Use the code EVERYKNEE10 to get 10% off your purchase. That's EVERYKNEE10, the number 10, all one word, to get 10% off your purchase. Our thanks to our friends over at ChooseLife.com for their sponsorship of Every Knee Shall Bow. So here's here's the funny thing. We did Choose Life as a sponsor on Catching Foxes. Oh, really? Okay. Lu- yeah. Yeah. And Luke got all of this awesome stuff. And I didn't get anything because Luke was supposed to send it to me. Oh, that's but funny. But he didn't know he was supposed to send it to me. So he kept it all. I, so then. Yeah, that's funny. <laughs> so for this, we actually get it. Now, I love Choose Life because not only do they make very beautiful rosaries and stuff like that, but uh, the whole thing came about with how little kids chew on rosaries. Right. They're always grabbing them, shoving them in the mouth. And it's like, well, what if we made a rosary that they could do that and it wouldn't like you right. know terrify mom and dad that she's halfway through my uh, pewter rosary? Um, but my wife has been buying this stuff literally since like day three of the company. Well, that's what I was going to say. That's why I didn't request any merchandise because, uh, we, we always give that like as, as gifts, like for like baptisms and stuff like that. So yeah, 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 they're great. That's a great company. I was excited when they emailed. I know me too. Me too. Choose life. Choose life. We have some interesting emails today to get through. Um, yeah. Let's let's jump into the one that we you and I were nervous about in the beginning. Let's 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 yeah. talk a little Latin here. Everybody loves liturgy wars. Great podcast. Thank you for presenting it to us. My wife and I have a conundrum. How is it evangelizing when the Catholic Church recites prayers, sing songs, and even full mass in Latin here in the US? Both of us are kids of the sixties and seventies and went through the Vatican II changes. We truly believe that hearing mass saying our prayers and singing songs in English or Spanish or Vietnamese. Uh, that is your native language, was one of the best changes made. It seems rude to us for those who are we are trying to bring into the church to also have to listen to a language they don't understand. And we are in our 60s and had no Latin in our 12 years of Catholic school education. We don't understand Latin either. So those younger than us won't understand it with few exceptions. How is it that how is that welcoming and evangelizing when no one understands except those even older than us? And a lot of them don't know or remember what is truly being said. They just reminisce about their youth. We find this very unwelcoming to new recruits and younger members of the faith, and we truly don't feel it is prayerful. I love to participate in the prayers and sing, to the dismay of many, I'm sure. I can't do that if I can't understand what's being said. Even if I had an English translation, it's cumbersome. Help me to understand. Better yet, help me to argue it's time to leave the unwelcoming past behind <laughs> us. Kevin, great shows. I'm praying for you guys. God bless. Oh, Kevin, I'm, I'm happy that you wrote in about this because uh, it's a question that a lot of people have. I think well, I think what before we like actually like throw out opinions there, let's set up some parameters here. Like one of the first things to know is the mass always had a a level of preparation needed, right? There was always there was never a time where mass the mass was made as like uh as evangelizing. That's not the way it was in the beginning, you know. There was a lot of preparation that people had to go through before attending. So I, I, there's one thing to understand just about that. I mean, I, I'm very sympathetic to what you're saying, but I want to just throw that out there. The second thing is I, I'm very sympathetic to the idea of language, um, but the problem is with liturgy, 
we're kind of in a tough spot here because there are big problems now with most Novus Ordo masses. You know, we, we have issues there for sure. And so people are choosing between two, you know, either the traditional Latin mass where we do see a lot more um, reverence there and, and things like that, or uh, Novus Ordo mass where there have been a lot of liturgical abuses that have seeped in over the years that were never dealt with. And I think that that's something to understand is that it's not like we're not presented with another option here. And so I think some people maybe are saying like, yeah, we'd like to worship in our own language, but we also want to make sure that the mass is reverenced in the way it was. So just kind of to frame our discussion here, the last thing I would say is this. We have a an obsession of understanding things <laughs> and we don't necessarily need to. There, you don't always have to understand what's going on. You don't have to know exactly what's going on. And I'm not saying you shouldn't, and I'm not saying it's not fruitful, that we should learn about the Mass, and we should learn the Latin that we need to learn to get through it and all that kind of stuff. But my point to you is that remember that the Mass is a sacrifice that the priest makes on our behalf, and so we don't have to understand every little bit of it. And in, in some cases, that desire to understand is is more of a control thing. So. Those are just three things I want to throw out just to begin the discussion. What about you, Gomer? One of the things I think we don't realize when we talk about liturgy and having conversations about liturgy is this understanding of our inheritance. So I just so you know, I mean, I don't go to a Latin mass or anything like that. People keep thinking that I do because of how much I defend certain things, but I don't. I go to a normal regional parish. When we talk about the the tradition that we received and that we're a part of, we belong to the Latin Catholic Church. The Roman Catholic Church is the Latin rite of the Catholic Church. There are many different rites in the church. There are many different churches in the church. There are 22, 23 sui juris churches. That means they have their own hierarchy and all that stuff. And many of them celebrate according to their own language and traditions, even though their people today don't speak that same language. But also, one of the reasons why Sacrosanctum Concilium at Vatican II allowed for the use of the vernacular in the liturgy was actually because of the Eastern church. One of the, the metropolitans, which is like an archbishop uh, in the Eastern church, one of them had gotten up and spoken and said, basically that it, it still shocks them that everything is done solely in Latin. Whereas the majority of their liturgies are done in their original tongues of the tradition, but they have incorporated large chunks of the vernacular into their celebration of the liturgy. And the church fathers took that to heart. Now, some people went like way farther than what Sacrosanctum Concilium asked for. But when you actually read the documents from Vatican II, it states that the faithful should learn Latin. Um, it says that the faithful should also, steps need to be taken so that the faithful may be able to say or sing together in Latin those parts of the ordinary of the Mass. So, uh, again, I don't go to a Latin mass or anything like that. I go to a normal Norvis Soto church. But one of the things that we have to realize also is for young people, young people skew traditional. Right. Uh, we lost, we, we had uh, a priest come to our church and he began chanting um, in English, chanting all these different things. And the, this one person got really upset and said, you know, we're a progressive church. You're stealing our young people away. And meanwhile, there's an ordinary parish, which does everything very traditionally, but in English, because it's, it's the thing that uh, Pope Benedict created to welcome Anglicans. And we lost we lost an overwhelming amount of our young families to that church, which has altar rails and all that stuff. Now, they do everything in English, 
but you would feel like you're at a Latin mass in terms of the tradition and the elements within there. And the crazy thing is all the stuff that they do, except for certain parts of their liturgy, which is common only to the the English or the Anglicans, is still required in the mass. But we just don't do them. Like Dave was saying, certain things got added or or really taken away that we don't do anymore that we're still told to do. And so it, that becomes a source of great difficulty. But again, me and Dave both kind of believe that the mass is not the place of evangelization necessarily. I keep saying this to everyone and anyone who will listen. We are overburdening the mass by asking right. it to do a trillion different things that it's not meant to do. It's meant to be the prayer of the son to the father. And we get to enter it by the power of the Holy Spirit and be united to the holy sacrifice of the mass. It's not the perfect place for evangelization at all. It is none of that. Think about the first 300 years of the church. No one even knew about the mass if you weren't, if you weren't already baptized. Right. Many people went to their first mass when they were baptized. Right. Right? Like they got baptized on Easter Vigil, confirmed, walked out, and it's like, now get, get ready for communion. Right. You know, that was their first experience. So don't make having people at mass the priority of our evangelization efforts that is the fruit of a committed disciple yeah i and i okay i agree with everything that you just said gomer and what i but, no 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 i what, what i would say is and and i and again these these are like hot button issues right now in the church unfortunately yeah. but what i would say is that i think for a lot of young people because of Pope John Paul II, Pope Benedict, because of the legacy that they left in the church, there is an unbelievable zeal for the true presence in the Eucharist. And I think that that is one of the main reasons that young people skew traditional because they see it reverenced in that mass so much more than we see it in the Novus Ordo mass. And it's not necessarily, I don't, I mean, there, there are, there are certain elements of the Novus Ordo that just don't reflect you know the the true presence as much as the the extraordinary form and and like you i i attend a novus ordo parish i don't go to an extraordinary form and and would prefer to worship in my own language for sure but like i said i i, I there are things that i'm horrified by you know just as far as like reception of communion and things like that 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 you don't see in the traditional latin mass so yeah, and it, it's really difficult because right now I think the church is going through a huge conflict within herself of her own understanding. And never, I, I shouldn't say never before because as I'm starting to restudy sections of church history, there was so much division and so much warring within the church in the Middle Ages. Like, Oh, yeah. <laughs> I, I don't think we understand. We just assume like, oh, everyone was Catholic. And it's like, eh. No, right. <laughs> Not really at all. But um, just to update the conversation from... Vatican II to today, one of the things that Pope Paul VI did when he gave us the the new mass, and the reason why it's called that is because right after Vatican II, they turned the Latin mass, the Tridenti mass, into the vernacular, and that held for about two years, and then you have the, what's called the mass of Pope Paul VI, or the Novus Ordo, and that is the mass that you and I know today. Now, Pope Paul VI in the Novus Ordo, he released um, a document uh, in like the early 70s or, or mid 70s, because he realized that when it, like every everyone, they just we just abandoned the tradition. And so he began and he was infuriated that one of his documents, Musicum Sacrum, wasn't being followed. Right. So he released a following document saying, here's all the Latin stuff everyone has to know. And it was a collection of 
hymns, traditional hymns, all this stuff that he wants everyone to know that we, here's the crazy thing. We all knew it, right? How do we learn this stuff? We learn it by osmosis, right? You learn it by going there. You have a hymnal, you have a missile, and then you pretty much don't need one. And when someone says Dominus Vobiscum, everyone just says et cum spiritu tuo. And you know what that means, but the training and the learning should be incorporated uh, into the life of the church. And so he released this thing and he was, uh, apparently he was very upset when he released it because so few of the Western churches were following it. But I was talking to a buddy of mine who's, uh, oh, where's he from? He's from Nigeria. And I was like, so what's it like uh, having mass uh, in Nigeria? Cause I know that Nigeria has tons and tons of languages and all this stuff. And he spoke Ibu and I said, what, what's it like for you? And he said, oh, it's in Latin. I said, what? And he goes, all of our masses are in Latin. I was like, you celebrate the traditional Latin mass there? And he goes, no, no, no. We celebrate the Novus Ordo in, in Latin. Latin. Yep. He said, there are too many languages in Nigeria. And he said, but we all prefer the Latin anyway. And I was like, what? <laughs> what? <Yeah. laughs> right? So you're talking about a country that is rapidly growing in Catholicism, right? right? In competition with the Muslims of the North. And they are expanding greatly. And most of the, not all their liturgies, but most of the liturgies that they do are in Latin. So it it is crazy. But we ought not to forget our inheritance. Even if you don't want to go to that type of church and, and live that kind of life, every single Roman or Latin Catholic ought to learn some of the basics in Latin. Yeah, right. Every one of us. Right. Yeah, absolutely. And it's a, and to be honest with you, uh, what, I'll, what I'll say to you is this, is that in, in the long run, it is very pedagogical. Like you, you, it will be very evangelistic. The traditional Latin mass. One one of the one of the reasons is the ad orientum. It teaches us about the priesthood. You know, the priest offers sacrifice on our on our behalf, and I think that's really important that we have to re, kind of reclaim that because they're not ministers; they're priests. You know, they're not they're not Protestant pastors or Protestant ministers. They're they're priests, and they offer sacrifice. So. I think, yeah, I, I mean, I, I totally sympathize with the things that you're saying in, in your email, but I also know that there are non-negotiables, and I also am am uncomfortable with a lot of the things going on just uh, liturgically in our country right now. What's a thing that makes also ad orientum, for those of you who don't know, means the priest yeah, facing sorry. east? Because churches were required to be... <laughs> churches were <laughs> required... There you go with your Latin. Uh, were required to be built on an axis and so that the altar could face east. And so the priest would face east and the people would face east, also known as ad deum toward God, toward the tabernacle, You know, also known as their backs were to the congregation. Yep. And so for a lot of people, I, I remember my buddy... Uh, they went to mass. They were at a Latin mass, and they were talking with a friend later that week. And they said, "Oh, you go to that church where people ha where the priest has his back to the people all the time." <laughs> and he said, "Why do you have to hate something that the church did for fifteen hundred yeah. years, like or, or yeah. longer? Why do you have to hate that? Yeah. Like, come on." Yeah. In the Eastern churches, they all have their back to the people in the, behind a, an iconostasis. So, um, but also, Dave, let me ask you: What you keep saying, you know, certain horrible things that have come in. What liturgical abuses? Have you seen, or do you? Oh, are do you, you feel like are anti-evangelical? You want people to start lighting pyres in front of my and my front yard to destroy me right now? Is that what you're trying to catch me? Uh, uh, Liturgy wars. reception of communion. The way people receive communion is, a, I think, a major issue right now. The uh, music is a major, major issue because I don't know if people realize, but like music played a major role in church history and in, in catechizing the faithful. So that's important, right? Uh, that that's really important. 
What would be your your main thing? What's the low hanging fruit that you would speak about music? Oh come on, Gomer, junk. Well, junk. you had uh, you had junk. <laughs> that's what that's uh, you know uh, all are welcome. Junk like that, that kind of thing. Like I just I uh, I don't like <laughs> I don't like what's you what, had you had a great norm that you imposed on our friend Brian Kissinger when he was going to lead praise and worship for a retreat. Yeah. And what, what was that norm? Do you remember? Yeah. No personal pronouns, no personal pronouns, unless it was from scripture, a direct quote from scripture, which I think is probably, so what do you mean by that? No personal. It means put the focus on God and not on us, you know? And I think that that's important because so much of it is about, it's it's like a catharsis as opposed to real sacrifice or real praise, um, and I think that that's really, really important because we're not there for catharsis. That's not what we're there for. We're there for real change in our life and real change, you know, and real sacrifice. And so some of this music reflects more of a, I don't know, what do you, what would you like a uh, sports fight song? You know, like we're gonna do this. We're doing it together. We're all great. We're doing that. And it's like this is this is so funny. It's why? so funny why because I was just. I, it's funny because I was talking about this. With I'm gonna get the other day. so many hate emails from what you from the <laughs> questions you just asked me. I know, I know. Well, let, here's here's the principles that I use when governing what songs I want and don't want. Okay, <laughs> which is uh, number one, they can't cause me to make wild promises I cannot yeah, right, fulfill. Okay, right. God, I will always yeah, be faithful. Yeah, right. I will right. always love you. I will never leave right. you. Yes, I want all of those yeah. things in my life, but I know me. Yeah. I know me, and that's why the confessional light is still green in my yeah. heart, I, and I got to keep going back. Um, the other one is if I can substitute the name of Jesus for a girlfriend or yeah, boyfriend, yeah, yeah. Uh, then I know the song is terrible. Yeah. And then my third principle is if the song tells me what we're doing in the song. Oh, I hate that. Yeah. Uh, I also am lost. Uh, <laughs> so, for instance, um, oh, the, this is the there's a there's a song written in the late 90s early 2000s and it goes this is a love song this is a yeah, love song i remember that i remember that song and I'm, <laughs> every time i hear it because i've only heard it recently a couple times and i'm like what why do i have to tell everyone in the congregation what i'm doing it's because the song is so terrible yeah written. one of them this was a let my heart song is- my heart song sing to you or something like that and i remember when that song <laughs> came then, out the- i gave like 20 women's retreats based on call it like with that theme the heart song <laughs> and then there's the uh, the anthem songs this is the anthem of our generation and all that and you're like okay that's funny that you just christened your song the anthem of an entire generation no hubris there but it is it is funny because the trajectory goes from talking about the majesty of god to and how all creation generally bows down to him to uh talking about how faithful i want to be to god to just talking about what i'm yeah, doing right, <laughs> right? right. Like, well since, I, since just, i've it's so since i've offended 80 percent of our listeners let's go ahead and do the other 20 percent. you know if i if i could make one change one change like if the bishop said well what would be one change but bishops never do this for me for some reason but if they said one change i would i would turn the priest at orientum i would turn him around because you know Protestant churches are personality based and that is not what we're supposed to be. We are not personality based. And so I think it really would, it would pedagogically be a game changer for the church to realize that, that the priest, when we say mediator, it's not a hurdle. 
he provides a way, right? A, a channel for us. And that that's why we all face the same way because we're all together in this and that he's providing, you know, he's making sacrifice on our behalf. I, I wish that we could change that because I think right now the mass, uh, the new mass is so personality based and, and that's a problem, I think. And that's actually why they wear vestments. People don't right. realize this, but it's to, it's to anonymize them. It's to remove their personality, getting them lost in their office. All right. Next question we have after Liturgy Wars. We'll make this a shorter one. Um, Ignacio. I love Ignacio. Hi. Recently entered seminary and am extremely grateful for your podcast as well as so many others that I have contributed in some way to awakening my hunger and spurred me into discernment. That's awesome. Yeah. And he's also a former Catching Foxes patron. Boom. As a part of the oh, same boy. <laughs> it's funny. Whenever I'm on Catching Foxes, I celebrate all the every knee shall bow stuff. Oh, really? And whenever I'm here, I celebrate all the Catching Foxes. You're just Foxes. trying to annoy yeah. Luke or me, one of the two. Yes. Yes. Basically, I realize right now that I'm a bad person. I'm sorry, guys. <laughs> uh, as, as part of the seminary life, we'll be helping out in the parishes, which is awesome. We will be assigned to, of course. And I'd like to ask you about discerning charisms. What are some tips to discern particularly the charism of evangelization in a parish setting? I'm very keen on evangelization. He's keen on it. I like it. But it's not like I've ever had super amazing results or anything as far as I know. But it came up on my called and gifted test, and I was thinking that my current setting would make it easier to discern. Yeah. All right, okay. Dave. You're the yeah, king of, uh, of discernment. Oh, oh, really? Okay. That's great. You are. You are. Uh, yeah, I'll jump in. Um, you know what I would do is I would do lots of different evangelistic activities and see what happens there. See how you feel and see what fruit comes about. Keep in mind that the fruit is often that you cannot see. So, um, you know, you want to feel, do you feel peace in that situation? And and so what I mean by that is jump into works of mercy, jump into small groups, jump into things like that, and, and really just uh, explore what you know, you, what is going on in your heart there? Testing um, something is a, a really great way to discern something. You know, I'm, I'm a big fan of the phrase that God cannot steer a ship that stopped. Right. And so we have to keep moving and allow God to close doors. Often people like, you know, Sherry Waddell is obviously the expert uh, on discerning charisms and things like that. And I think for some people, evangelization will come easier if you have that charism. I know that is the way for me because I'm not uh, I'm not a typical evangelist. I, I'm I'm the opposite of Gomer. Like I, I would prefer to just be alone. I don't get along all that well with people very often. And, you know, I have a small group of people that I'm usually around and I don't even work well in teams usually. So it's like I, I'm the opposite of normal like evangelists, but it but things come easy for me as far as. <laughs> Uh, God makes it very easy in the sense that I'm constantly put in situations where people are asking, you know, can you, can you share this with me? Can you tell me what happened in your life? So, uh, so that's, I, I would move. That's what I would do. Move, 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 try a lot of different things and see what happens. What's yours? Yeah. And, and yeah, being an evangelist, I think sometimes we, we tend to have like one or two models of what that means, you know, walking yeah. up to a stranger, right. being on a street corner. And that's not necessarily what it means. Um, or or let me rephrase that. That may be one or two different ways that it manifests itself, yeah. right? So for some people, maybe your outgoing personality and whatever means that it is very easy for you to be surrounded by a group of people at a party and you're talking and blah, blah, blah. And it e you can easily bring up Christ in a conversation without it feeling fake, false, or laborious for you. But I would just say that 
Um, there are many different ways that we evangelize. In fact, the most common way that I evangelize is by skeptics and people leaving the church who come to my office for whatever reason, yeah. and they just unburden themselves, mm-hmm. right? A lot of that is me asking questions and them giving their responses or them asking me questions and wanting answers. And I just, I have a, it doesn't always work. I'm not always successful. It's not automatic, but when I give answers that people are looking for, whether it's on in vitro fertilization or gay marriage or, you know, why Jesus seems like a bad guy because he wants everyone to worship him like that's weird. You know, all these different things. When you begin to lay it out, you you can do it in a way that appeals to people instead of pushes them away. Yeah. Right. Um, and so the that that's one of the ways. So doing one on one ministry in an office setting, right? That that's one of the ways that my charism of evangelization manifests itself, right? Yeah, and, you know, just can I, can I interrupt you for one second? What you just said please. is so good that, and and I hope that everybody heard this. That if you're really comfortable weaving the message of God's love, His act of redemption, the passion, death, and resurrection into any topic of the Catholic Church, that that's an evangelist. I mean, that is a very, very powerful form of evangelization. I hope, I hope everyone hears that, that that that's an important thing for us. Sorry, go ahead. Oh no, I will always pause for you to praise me. I enjoy it (laughs) as much as I enjoy my choose life rosaries, (laughs) but it is really cool that seminarians are investing into this stuff. Um, the called and gifted test, you know, it's not, you know, it's, it's not a silver bullet like Sherry would say, but it can greatly help you in your ministry to realize your strengths um, and and where God is already working in your life. And so that experience of like be on the lookout in the parish setting. Don't say, give me a microphone and let me stand up top, you know, the, the sanctuary and I'll change everyone's life. What it means is that you should be, like Dave said, looking for opportunities to share the gospel. My whole thing is don't just think those opportunities are going to look like you know, yeah. guy in a microphone, guy in a street corner. Right, right. Agreed. Cool. Next. Cool. Yeah. All right. You ready for this last one? I yeah. think this is a short one. Dave's a little apprehensive, but I think it's a short one. So Grace, Catholic mom of a happy, busy 14-month-old and wife of also a happy and busy Methodist organist who appreciates Catholic doctrine more than the Catholic, the average Catholic. I love that. So she's a fan of the show, and she heard me the other week talking about being that parent with the Cheerios and all that good stuff. And she said, what is your advice on teaching very young children how to behave in church? How can I start forming her now to be a good disciple of Christ? And one of the issues is we had COVID, all that stuff, and there are choir members and organists and all these things. And so she's been going to all these different masses, but, you know, mom's singing. So it's a little bit different experience. And so now she finds it very difficult to be with the baby in the pew uh, and it's trying to figure out how to navigate this yeah, because she feels like it's, uh, almost impossible. So, uh, this is a, this is a happy family one. Yeah. No, you go, you, Dave, no, you go first on this you one want- for sure. For sure. <laughs> you know, my answer, I, this is a, this is a baby, Dave. This is a baby. Yeah, you're right. So yeah, you're right. <laughs> now, when it comes to this stuff, uh, I have two answers. Answer number one is sit near people who know and love you and wouldn't mind having your baby in their lap. Yeah. Because what I found shuts a kid up quickly is when you put them in a quasi stranger's hand. Oh, that's a good idea. Sitting I, next I would to never you. have thought of that. That's a great idea. Yeah. So we, well, it's because me and my friends, uh, the Muck Dollars and the Joneses and all of us, we would all go to the 9 a.m. mass and we would all sit in the same area. 
And then when our kids are going nuts, we would just pass the kid to someone else. That is so funny. And all of a sudden, the kid's like, you know, some kids will cry louder. And then you're like, okay, time to walk. But uh, yeah, I mean, kids just can't sit still. Like, that's normal. It's normal. It's funny that kids always want to be held by mommy uh, until six days a week (laughs) until you go to mass. It's like, I'll hug you. I'll hold you for an hour as long as you're quiet. No, full rebellion. But so that was one of the things that we would do. We would pass the kiddos off to one another. The other thing is that, uh, you know, I was lucky that we had a church with a nursery. And I, I think sometimes parents unduly burden themselves, especially if you have a particular screamer. Right. A particularly, you know, wiggly baby, which is fine. It's fine. But, um, you know, the church doesn't require that child to be at mass. Right. And I think sometimes we put like St. Teresa Lazio didn't really go to mass until the year she received Holy Communion. She turned out fine. So there is, and there's parents are saints. Fine. And she all turned of her out sisters. Fine. That's, a funny, she turned out that's fine. such a funny statement. To each <laughs> the, the understatement of the century. <laughs> <laughs> you know, who wouldn't make an understatement like that? Or five folks to choose like. But, uh, one, get a choose life rosary so the baby can, yeah. can go or the good one, go to good one. Yeah. But two, uh, now uh, priests are going to hate this. But if your kid starts, I, I always tell people, if your kids are screaming, take them out of the church. It's fine. Come back, but take them out of the church. If they're, if they're going nuts. Yeah, you take them out. I agree. But if they're just the normal wiggles and the talks and stuff like that, you, you do what you can to control that and keep them quiet. Yeah. Um, but uh, for me, this is the thing I said priests are going to hate is uh, we always sat up front because our kids could see action yeah. instead of the back of the person's head. And I say priests are going to hate this because in the uh, rebuilt book, they talk about how not to do that because you distract me, the priest. And I'm like, well, better you than me. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> Which is not really what I should be thinking, but who cares? No, I think uh, one of the things, you know, the most important thing that Gomer said is like, well, this just happens. I mean, it's part of normal life. So be ready for that. You know, our family, you know, we um, we always did positive reinforcement. So like, you know, if behavior was good, we would do the donuts and stuff like that. But we also, you know, when they turned two, we we were pretty strict about, you know, what they did during mass. So we would, uh, you know, also also punish them sometimes if they were really bad like if i knew they were actually being naughty then we would you know punish them but but yeah i i think one of the things to think about is just there's a there's a period of time in every kid's life where yeah if they're screaming you take them out and and i know some people are really offended by that idea but i think that that's i don't think there's anything wrong with it and uh i for one thing i would just say like don't worry so much about it. You know, she's, she's going to, it, she's going to be fine. Everything's going to be great. And and you guys are obviously faithful and they're going to see that. So the funny thing about mass and parenting is I just want to assure every parent that even if you come away, not having paid attention to much (laughs) because you're trying to deal with your kids and and do all this stuff, that's part of your sacramental worship, right? It really is because you're trying your best to bring your child. Sure. Before the throne of heaven. And so let's just acknowledge that and say, good on you for being there. And then the other thing is kids learn by osmosis, right? They learn by just being there, which is one of the common arguments against having a nursery, which is, well, how are they going to learn if you never take them there? Right. So for me, one of the things that helped was daily mass. It's shorter. It's similar, but not with all the music and all that stuff. So the kids actually, they didn't even spool up to rage and anger and 
throwing fits and stuff. And then lastly, the earliest mass you can attend. We would I never taken my kids to the seven a.m. Oh, they are so well behaved. Oh, okay. See, you're so smart oh, with this stuff. I I would never. I would. You never. know who taught me that? My buddy. Uh, our buddy. Uh, oh my gosh, why am I blanking on his name? Jason Carter. How could you forget Jason Carter? I <laughs> I know, I know. I did a parish mission for him about five years ago, and he said, "Oh, me and my family, we all go to like the six forty-five a.m. mass." And I was like. But you live 45 minutes away. And he goes, I know. My kids are so tired. They can't act up. That's great. And they did. They're all like, it's like they're all filled with lithium. Yeah. They're all just sitting there like, hello. How are you, Mr. Gormley? It was the greatest thing ever. So I've been doing that uh, every so often. Yeah, that's awesome. Awesome. Yeah, so hang in there. Uh, it Don't worry. Just call to make saints, and you're, you're doing your best right now. So You're doing it. Yeah. You're doing yeah. it. All right, y'all, this has been a controversial episode of Everything <laughs> Shall Bow. We're talking parenting. We're talking We're talking spanking. evangelism. We're talking. <laughs> We're talking Novus Ordo. Okay, so uh, someone said the funniest question to me. They go, why is it that the church, that when the church celebrates mass in Latin, it's called like the traditional mass. But when you celebrate the non-Latin mass, called it's, the called, it's only known by, so by its Latin title, the Novus Ordo. That is funny. Because someone wants to walk around saying the new order. Yeah. All right. The new yeah, world creepy. order. Creepy. Dum, dum, dum. All right. Well, thank you. And thanks to our fine folks over at Choose Life who chose to sponsor this episode. Great. Check them out, people, at choose life.com. And uh, Dave, I'll see you next week. God bless. Talk to you next week. God bless. Adios. Bye.